On Sunday morning, we are talking about something that everybody needs to pay close attention to, and that is the attitude that we should have whenever people are hurting us, trying to destroy us. We shouldn't have the attitude that most people think of. Most people think when somebody does you wrong that you are supposed to be involved in your wrath or in what the Bible calls orge. Orge is feminine gender. The only way it can be feminine gender, it cannot, even some of the Greek writers will say, that can be God's wrath. It cannot. I deny that because God is not a female. The reason they don't want to recognize that it's feminine gender is because the Bible says God puts this orge on all men and it is his nature. It's, I'm going to tell you why it's his nature. That's because God made man out of corrupt dust. And when he told Adam, Thou shalt not eat of this tree, but you will. And he said you will when he said, The day you eat, you will die. He didn't say if you eat. He said the day you eat, you will die spiritually. So the orge is feminine because Revelation 17 and 5 says Babylon was the mother. A mother is female. She was the mother of all of all harlots. Now in the Old Testament, a harlot was more than a woman that stood on the corner of the street selling her body. A harlot was a god. God called the gods of Israel that they served, Baal in the grove, He called Israel, this is their harlotry. And the mother of harlots, porne, P-O-R-N-E. Porne is the word harlot. It means idolatry. That exactly matches matches with Old Testament being called, Israel being called a harlot because they went after these other gods. Well, Babylon, the mother, female, of harlots, would be the mother of all sin. Idolatry. Let me put it on the board again. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. Idololatria is the Greek word idolatry. It is a construction of ido and latruo. Latruo means to serve. That's the same word. Sir, that the Bible speaks of in John the 16th chapter. John the 16th chapter when the Bible says, when men kill you, they think they do service to the Lord when they decide to kill us as believers. They'll think they're serving God. And ido means to see. So idolatry means to serve what you put into your eyes and into your ears. So you better watch out what you're looking at on TV, women, men, people, things, stuff, jewelry, uh, anything that can build you up. You got to watch out. I'm very aware of that. I used to like, I used to like diamond rings, and and uh, I don't want any of that no more because it it kind of tears down your testimony i'm not going to get uh, jump your case if you got a big diamond ring i'm just saying 
I can't do that anymore because uh, it makes me look like a hypocrite if I'm talking about death to self and daily cross and self-denial and I'm winging a, I'm waving a five-carat solitaire in your face while I'm preaching. I don't know how preachers can do that. Now, wrath or gave. Babylon was founded on self. Genesis 11 and 4. This is some of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. 11 and 4. Babylon was founded on self. Babylon is a she. This is why orge feminine has to be man's wrath, and it is the wrath of covetousness. The Bible says covetousness is idolatry. That is serving what you see. It means to want more any way you can get it. It's the word pleonectes, P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S. You say, Jim, you put that on the board all the time. That's because I really believe that's our main problem. Stuff in our eyes and our ears full of stuff that doesn't need to be there. So Babylon was founded on let us make us a name. Nothing has affected me. Nothing in my life has affected me like this and Babylon me, the mother of harlots. Those are two verses that convicted my heart so much. When I was about 37, I woke up one day and said, I am trying to make myself a name and be seen in the world. That's not what we're supposed to do. God has predestined us to conform to the image, to the... People talk about predestination. I don't believe in that. You have to. But the main thing about Romans 8 and 29, you have to believe. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. This is what we're predestined to, to be conformed to the image of his Son, of the Son of God. So all you need to know is what does conformed mean? Sumorphos, S-U-M-M-O-R-P-H-O-S. I'm going to talk about this Wednesday night. Sumorphos means to be shaped in fellowship, without the fellowship of Christ. Fellowship means to gather together with people who believe the same thing as Jesus taught. And image is the word icon. Icon means likeness. What was Jesus like when people did him wrong? Did he get angry at them? Not once. Not one time did he get angry at people who did him wrong. Was he done wrong? Well, yeah, they took Jesus and they murdered him. When you kill somebody that's innocent, isn't that murder? It's exactly murder. They murdered Christ, but they didn't do it against his will. He caused them to want to do that because he was our lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So what are you supposed to do? We're talking about David and Saul when it comes to this. David and Saul. When somebody does you wrong and you know it's wrong, what do you do? You get mad? You say, I'll get them back. They unfairly persecuted me and chastised me. That is not what we're supposed to do. Did you know that Christians are never, ever to be angry? 
The only one time the Bible will speak about us being angry. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 26, be angry. And he just got through discussing the winds of doctrine that lead sheep away, put them on a vain search, and they're wandering around, and they become apathetic. Without, the Bible says they become past feeling. Apalgao is the word, A-P-A-L. G-E-O. If you are without feeling, you are apathetic. That's what this word means. A-P-A-T-H-E-T-I-C. You're apathetic. The word comes from pathos, means to feel sensation or pain. Pain or sensation. And when you put the alpha in front of pathos, it translates apathetic. The alpha negates the word and gives an opposite meaning. It means no pain, no sensation. You don't feel anything. That's what the Bible says we do, that when we go after these winds of doctrine, we get to a place where we are past feeling, and our conscience is seared there in First Timothy, the fourth chapter, our conscience becomes, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking believers. When you go after the doctrines of the devil, and that word then, First Timothy 4 and 1, doctrines of devils, in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, and doctrines of D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. Diamonion is our word demon. It's the word devil in that verse. It's our word demon. Comes from the root dio, meaning to distribute fortunes. There's no such thing as demons. Whenever I say that, people write to me emails and say, What do you mean there's no such thing as Satan? I didn't say that. What do you mean there's no such thing as a devil? I didn't say that either. I said, There's no such thing as demons. Demons in the first century was the gods of the Greeks and Romans. Their gods were Hercules and, and Venus and Aphrodite and, and Thor and all the rest of these. These were called demons by those people in that ancient time. That's what demons are. And Jesus said they were simply man's imagination. He invented them and they were nothing but self. I don't have time to go into that. But that, that's what man, in the latter times, some shall depart. Depart. Apistome. A-P-H-I-S-T-E-M-I. Apistome comes from the word histome, means to stand apart. They'll stand apart from faith. Everything that faith is, is what they'll remove themselves from. Faith is dead. If you believe in something or someone else, you have to not believe in yourself. When you don't have any answers, you place your faith in somebody else. That means there has to be death to self. I've preached on this a, a thousand times. So men are going to depart from death to self. And when you depart from death to self, and somebody is beating you, death to self means I want money, I want self, I want everything I want. And if somebody hurts you, 
you're going to say, hey, I don't like what you did to me and I'm going to get you back. We are never supposed to get anybody back for anything. That's the mind of Christ. Are we to have the mind of Christ? The Bible says that over and over again. Jesus never was vindictive to his enemies. He said, my father will get vindication. He will get revenge. Vengeance is mine. I will repay this, saith the Lord. You're never supposed to be trying to get vengeance or being angry at people. That is not God's way. We're predestined to conform to his likeness. So whenever you're, you depart from the faith, you give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of daemonion or distributing fortunes. It's no longer death to self. It's I want what I want. I want me. Boy, that's the hardest thing to get away from. Now, I want us to look at some verses. We're going to talk about Saul and David. Saul had a doctrine of the devil in him because David was made king by God. After Saul had rejected God's commandments there in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15, God said, I'm going to pull you off the throne. And he sent Samuel, who was the prophet in Israel, to Saul to tell him, your day's over, it's done. Well, Saul had a demon in him because he wanted the throne, even though he knew that Samuel would tell him the truth. Saul was saying, look, tell God I didn't really mean it, and I really want to have my position as the king of Israel. And God never did that. He never gave the the kingdom back to Saul. So Saul knew that God had had Samuel anoint David. So Saul thinks if I can kill David and get revenge on him, he can't have the throne. If God made David the king, or if God put somebody ahead of you in life, they're supposed to be ahead of you. If somebody, the only reason somebody will cheat you is God uses evil men to cut us down to learn to bow to his will. We're never supposed to get revenge. Let me give you some more verses on this. Never to be getting revenge or retaliating with people. Look over here in, let's look at a few of these places. Look at Proverbs 24. Look at Proverbs 24. God says, revenge belongs to me. Don't revenge. I don't even know how to explain this other than to tell it to you, but do I believe you can understand it without a certain amount of experience? No, I don't even believe young people could even get a hold of this. I don't believe a lot of middle-aged people could get a hold of it. You are never to lose your temper. Now, you're looking at a man that has lost his temper as much as anybody that you've ever seen. And I don't believe in that anymore. God had to deal with me. He's nearly killed me with diseases of all kinds, heart attacks and with cancer and everything else. God's nearly just wound my clock. He has wound it several times. Look over here in Proverbs 24. Proverbs, I'm going to give you some verses on this. If this can register on you, the best way to live is God having his revenge in his time the way he wants to get it. It has nothing to do with you having your way with people. Nothing. You're supposed to live like Christ. He's predestined us to conform to the likeness of Jesus before the foundation of the world. What does it take 
to cause us to conform to Christ's likeness. Well, you got two men in you. You got the inner man, which is the new birth, if you're a believer. That's that's born again. Born again. And that man can't sin. The Bible says that in first John three and and eight. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Only the inner man is born of God because his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. But at the same book, the same man, John, wrote in 1 John 1 and 8, he said, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So you got this outer man that God's got to overcome. And it takes God years and years of trials and persecution and just everything you can think of to put you through in order to conform you to the likeness of Christ. He's got to burn out that old man, and that doesn't happen overnight. Everybody is born with the nature of the orge and with a vindictive attitude. Has anybody here ever wanted to get anybody back for what they did to you? Anybody don't raise your hand, you're lying. Because there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to me. And I have admitted what's in my heart, so I know what's in yours. There's not a person here that hasn't had vindictiveness in their heart. And I want to get people back and get revenge on them for what they did to me. You're not ever supposed to do that. What am I supposed to do? What you don't want to (laughs) do. Give up to God. Look here. Look here in Proverbs, in Proverbs 24, 17. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Ooh, is that hard to swallow? Lest the Lord see you doing that. And it displeased him, and he turned away his wrath from him. Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. For there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. My son, fear thou the Lord, the king, and meddle not. Here's the, what do I do with these people that are doing evil to me? Meddle not with them that are given to change. Meddle is the word arab, A-R-A-B. That is a Hebrew word. It means to mix with. The Arab race is a mixed race. It is, it is Arab, but it's a Jewish word. It means to mix. Do not mix with these people. What do I do when somebody does me wrong? Do I get mad at him and say, I'm going to leave you alone. I'm getting away from you. No, you're not supposed to get angry. You're supposed to just pull away. People think when we're not supposed to mix with somebody, we're to go over here and be angry at him. No, you're not to be angry at him. Not unless they're a false teacher. And false teachers, we're to be angry at them. There in Ephesians 4.26, be angry at the false teachers that make the church go astray. But as far as somebody doing you wrong, God makes everybody the way they are, doesn't he? He made me a young jerk. 
in my 20s. Has anybody been a jerk in their 20s besides me? <laughs> you can lie to me. You can't even lie to me, much less God, because I know enough Scripture to know that you're just like me. Everybody here is just like me. You've had problems with your temper, your anger, and you want to get revenge. We're not supposed to mix with these people. When people do you wrong, you don't mix with them. You withdraw from every brother. Even a brother, you withdraw from him if he's walking disorderly. Do you withdraw from him with anger? No. You just withdraw. If he is the way he is, God made him that way. God works all things and all men in everything the way he wants to work. And we're not supposed to be doing that. The Bible says we, if anybody preaches any other doctrine, we're not to bid them Godspeed, C-H-A-I-R-O. Godspeed is a form of the word charis. That's the word Grace. We're not to be gracious to people. Well, you mean, are we supposed to mistreat them? No. I am cordial to everybody I run into in public. When I'm going through a checkout line, I say, how are you today? If I get a chance, I'll say something about the Lord. One fellow said, how are you today? I said, well, same as yesterday, and I'll be the same thing tomorrow, and then one day I'll die and go be with Jesus. I just made it that simple. And he goes, I don't I don't have to you don't have to preach hard just to say something for the Lord. Let people know where you stand. So if anybody preaches wrong, don't don't embrace them. The Bible says if anyone preaches any other doctrine, don't bid them God's speed. If you bid them God's speed, boy it's really hard to understand that. It doesn't mean you get angry at him and pull away from him. You have to get away from them, but you can't be angry because God made them that way. He made all vessels of wrath, vessels of wrath. He made contrary believers contrary. And that's what, that's what Saul was. He was contrary. He didn't want God's will to be done. And it was told him by Samuel that he believed in. He believed Samuel as long as he was telling him something good. But he didn't want to believe him when he said, God said, Samuel, you tell Saul, I'm through with him. He's not going to be king anymore. That David's going to be my king. Well, I, I, if I kill David, I'll get revenge on David by killing him. You're going, to get, you're going to get revenge on somebody that did you wrong when God wanted them to do you wrong in order to mold you into the likeness of Christ after so many people do you wrong till you get old like me. I have learned in these last 10 years not to be angry with people. I've had people come in here and lie and cheat and steal. And I just, when they leave, I say, whew, that was something, wasn't it? But I don't get angry at nobody anymore. I just don't believe in that. That's the likeness of Christ that comes over you when you get right at 80. But you don't have to wait that long like I did. Now, I want us to look at some more things. Look over here in Proverbs 25. Something interesting here. You've read this out of Romans, the 12th chapter. We'll read Proverbs 25, 21 and 22 first. And then we'll go over to Romans 12. You've heard this before. 
Proverbs 25 and verse 21. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. It's not saying start fellowshipping with them. If somebody's hungry, I'm going to feed them. I don't care who they are. If I see they're hungry and they need something to eat. Now, I can't go down here to Nashville and take on everybody at the rescue mission. But if I see somebody that's just genuinely hungry and they don't have anything to eat, I will feed them somehow. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Now, we've heard that before, haven't we? Let's look over here in Romans, the 12th chapter. The 12th chapter of Romans is God's revenge chapter. Revenge belongs to me. If you can ever, you can't get rid of that attitude of revenge. Only God can do that. I'll get them back for what they did to me. That should never be in our minds, and I have been the world's worst at that. Have you ever been that? Or do you want to admit it? You can't get people back, and yet somebody can do you so wrong. But that's not your business. They did Jesus wrong. They took him, an innocent man, accused him of blasphemy and put him on a cross. Was he guilty? No. What did he do when he's on the cross? He looked out over the crowd and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Was he talking about everybody in the crowd? He couldn't have been. He's talking about the believers that joined in to crucify him. And there were a lot of believers out there that were in the crowd saying, crucify him. They're going along with mob control. You know, the mob was saying, kill him. And so he said, okay, let's get in with him and say, kill him. When Jesus said, forgive them, if he'd have... If he'd have met everybody in the crowd, everybody in the crowd, including the Roman soldiers, would have been forgiven, wouldn't they? But there had to be repentance. He was talking about the elect that was in the crowd. Well, can elect crucify Christ? I guess they can. Have you ever crucified Christ? If you don't go on unto perfection, according to the sixth chapter of Hebrews, perfection, teleos or teleotes there, T-E-L-E-T-E-L-E-I-O-T-E-S. That means perfection. If you don't leave the basics of the doctrines of faith, the simple things of believing Christ, and going unto maturity, growing as a believer, adding to your faith, there in Second Peter 1 and 5, add to your faith these seven things, starts off with virtue, which means maturity. It's the word rete. If you don't mature and grow up, here's what you're going to do. The Bible says you have received. Well, let's look at that. This is one of the most confusing verses in all the Bible to preachers. The church of Christ don't know what to do with it. Now, I have brought this out before, but let me emphasize this. You have to, what causes you to want revenge is you haven't grown in the faith. Growing is a long process. It takes lots of fire, lots of trials. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Do you? 
It's not strange. Strange is the word kenizo, X-E-N-I-Z-O. It is a form of X-E-N-O-S, which is the word stranger. It means an occasional guest. Don't think that the fiery trial of your life is an occasional guest. It's a daily happening in your life. It's not something that happens once in a while. The trial has to be here in order for you to grow. You won't grow otherwise. I thank God for everything that I've ever been through. I thought in 1966, 67, I couldn't live through what I was going through. And you know what that those experiences were to me right now, what the, how they affect me? It's like taking an eyedropper and just dropping a drop of water on the floor. That's about how much it affects me. I thought it was important. It wasn't even important. I thought I would need to kill somebody because of all the things that people are doing to me. When you feel like that, you got a long way to go. A long way. Nothing wrong with being plain and straight. If you, let me say this before I forget. If you ask me a question and you think I'm going to answer in your favor, I'm not. Some of you ask me questions, I say no. People call me on the phone and ask me a question. Do you believe this? Absolutely not. Then I'll tell them if they want to know why. Don't ask me a question if you don't want a straight answer because I'm not going to beat around the bush with you. I'm too old to be around the bush anymore. I'm tired of that. I got a straight answer for you. And you'll get the reputation after a while. Don't ask him. He'll tell you exactly what the truth is. I've had probably a dozen people call me and say, my roommate won't believe the truth. And I say, well, who's your roommate? And they'll name some girl. And then I'll say, are you living with her? That's the first thing I say. Are you living with her outside of marriage? Well, yeah. I say, why do you expect her to believe you? She shouldn't believe you because you're living wrong. Now, if you want to get married and then you want to talk to her and live a lifestyle in front of her, they're looking for me to agree with them because they're believing the truth outside of living it. I'm not going to agree with you for that on anything. Anybody here that knows me real well knows I will shoot real straight with you. That's another likeness of Christ. Learn to do that. Don't embellish things to convince anybody of anything. Say it like it is. That's Christ-like. Now, where was I going? Huh? Hebrews 6. Let's look here at Hebrews 6. You can't live vindictive against the world. Hebrews 6, then we'll go back to... We'll go back to... Uh, where was I going? Back to Romans 12. Okay. Hebrews 6. This is really a confusing chapter to most people. I had a doctor of theology. He'd been listening to my tapes... He was a doctor of theology out at the Church of Christ School, David Lipscomb. And, he's, and, he, uh, 
And this fellow that was an acquaintance was taking him my cassettes back in the 90s. And he kept telling him, this fellow, I want to meet Jim Brown. So I went out to a restaurant where he was and had on this shirt that said something like, God doesn't love everybody or whatever. And he stood up at this table and he had a little three-piece suit on and had his watch five and he's about four, five foot four or five three, little short professor. And he, I walked up to the table and he said, it's such a privilege to meet you. I've just been wanting to meet you for a long time. I've been listening to your your tapes. In fact, this fellow said he got in the car with him one day and he saw my tape in the tape player. And he said, I see you've been listening to Jim. This is a professor. He said, yeah, I can only take about 30 minutes of him. I can't can't keep listening. He said, it's just too hard to get a hold of. Well, I, when I sat down, he said, I want to ask you one question. I said, you probably want to know what Hebrews, the sixth chapter is about. He said, how did you know that? I said, every church of Christ wants to know that. So we read this right here. Therefore, having the believing the principles of the doctrine of Christ, the basic principles about being saved, born again, not, we're not talking about the erroneous doctrines of accept Christ. That's not true. But leaving the basic principles that you get when you go into some church and hear some preacher for the first time say you must be born again. Not laying again the foundation of repentance, telling you have to repent of sin. That's good, and I keep preaching that. But you need deeper things in the faith. And from dead works and faith toward God of the doctrines of baptisms. They washed everything. They washed their food ritualistically. They washed their priests ritualistically. But all that was nailed to the cross with Christ. And the laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This we will we do if God permit. We need to, it doesn't mean to leave, by, leave behind all the foundations of truth. But it means gone unto maturity, study deeper things like the 70 weeks of Daniel, Christmas is pagan, predestination is true. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Now, that word enlightened is the word fotidzo, shed rays, fotidzo. If you have been enlightened, we're talking about whether you can crucify Christ after you're a believer. And you can, and I have, and most of you have. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, that's us, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. We were made medicos. M-E-T-O-C-H-O-S. Participants of the Holy Spirit, which is truth. This is not talking about unbelievers. We've been made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall Away, parapipto.
It means to apostatize. Now, you cannot apostatize unless you are a believer. Apostatize comes from apo and stasis. Stasis means to stand apart. You stand apart from what you once adhered to. If you don't learn more, the previous chapter talks about that. If they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. It doesn't say it's impossible for them to repent. It says to have repentance brand new, the same way it was when you first come to the knowledge of Christ, it's impossible. If you're not listening to a man that can teach you in-depth truth, and you can learn in-depth truth like all these words I give you up here, you're not listening to somebody that can tell you what things mean, it's impossible. If you're going along, and you have new birth right here, new birth, new birth, you're born again, and then you're going along, and this preacher was just a basic preacher, and he never fed the flock, and he never went to anything deeper, you will fall away. You'll go off into sin for some time, and you'll feel like you're in darkness. I have felt that very thing. I was in real estate, just flying high, making lots of money, Back in 1980, I was driving back from Rivergate in my brand new town car, real fancy. And I was crying out, oh God, get me out of this. I can't stand this. And I was successful. One of the most successful agents here in town. I was considered Superboy. Everybody wanted to hire me because I was turning lots of property. And I got down here in the ditch. But to repent, you can't have brand new repentance like it was back here. you got to live with that shame and the rest of your life. And that was a shame to me. I can't even think of it. I can't even want to think of the things that I did when I was off in clubs, singing, stages. I look back at it and say, oh, God, let me never get back into that again. I stay as far as I can stay from the music world or the real estate world or anything that would build me up and lift me up. It's impossible to have brand new repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. That's what I've done. Have you done that? Can you crucify Christ as a believer? Absolutely. I have done it. Most of you have. Haven't you? It's hard to own up to your sin. You're not supposed... Let's go back to the 12th chapter of Romans. I said something to Ben the other day. He was at my house, and I was talking about how much I loved the Lord. I said, I love him with all my gut. I don't think he knew what I meant. 
Anybody can say, I love the Lord with all my heart. So love him with my gut. The word compassion, common word is splanknon. It comes from our word spleen. It's the word bowel. If there's any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. You gotta love God with all your gut. It it's the same thing when you see a dead animal that's been run over by a car. I cannot get out of my mind. I was a paper boy in Fort Worth in nineteen fifty two. And I was on my paper round. I saw a little dog that had been hit by a car, and it was just a puppy, maybe four or five months old. And it was laying out there in the road, haven, and you could see the tracks of the car over him. He was laying there dying. And I just thought, this is terrible. How can you do something about this? And I began to get that feeling in my gut coming up. It was that compassion. If you don't have compassion on animals, the Bible says the righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. The Jews said you were unrighteous if you were cruel to animals. You can't be cruel to animals and be a righteous person. You have to have compassion towards people. You even have to have compassion towards your enemy. Once... Think of the worst thing that somebody's done to you. You know why they did it? For your good. God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. A lot of those people that have done you wrong, they've been fitted for hell when they die. If you could see them that way, what would you do? Would you feel is bad? And you could realize that God made them for hell. These as natural brute beasts were made to be taken and destroyed. That word made in Second Peter 2.12 is the word Ghania. It means born. They were born to go to hell. How about that? That's the majority of the world born to go to hell. And those people that do you wrong, you're not supposed to be trying to get them back. God is only using them to mold you to be like Him. That's what we're supposed to be. Now look here in in Romans 12. I got something to read to you. I want you, maybe this will help you see the 12th chapter of Romans. I'm going to read a little bit of this, and I've read it before. This is kind of like a theme to this David and Saul problem that we had. Saul was wanting to get revenge on David for God appointing him to be the king. You cannot get revenge on the will of God. We're never to be angry. Not at each other. Not even at our worst enemies. Just get away from them. That's all you're supposed to do. And God is into, in his time will deal with the ones he wants to deal with. Let me read here again in... In verse 16, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not 
don't have your mind on high things, the things in this world that's on top, the wealth and the riches and the position. But condescend, it means to bow down, sunapago, condescend to men of low estate. If somebody is on the ground, get on the ground with them. If somebody is poor, be poor with them. Paul said, to the Greek became I as a Greek. I became as a Jew to the Jew. He didn't say I became Jew. He was a Jew. But he's saying I'll become what they are when I'm in their ballpark. He's not talking about compromising the word of God. He said I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. You got to get down. If somebody's on the floor, get on the floor with them. Don't talk down to them and make them feel bad. Then he says, recompense to no man evil for evil. The word evil is the word, common word is kakos. It means something that's worthless. It's worthless to fight somebody over your revenge. It was worthless for Saul to be fighting David. David's going to be the king. It didn't matter what Saul did. And he chased him from the 19th chapter to the 31st chapter of 1 Samuel, trying to kill him. He thought, if I can kill David, I can get rid of the sovereign will of God. If I can destroy my enemy over there, I can feel happy about it. No, you can't. The people that have done wrong here, I'm not angry at any of them. I've quit being angry. You know why I've done that? There are 79 reasons I've done that. I'm 79 years old. If you can get to be 79, I'll be 80 next May. That's one of the main reasons I can just drop these things and forget them. I sound harsh and hard sometimes. I'm just saying the blunt truth. I don't have time to play around anymore. And he goes on to say, recompense to no man evil for the evil they do to you. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Be as honest as you can be. That word honest is the word kalos. Sometimes it's translated good or honest. Are you honest about everything? That word kalos means beautiful in the eyes of God. It's the same word over there in James, the fourth chapter, unto him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And that's talking about self. It's talking about not bragging about who you are and what you're going to be doing. It's not good to do that. You know what we're talking about in essence? Getting your mind completely off yourself. Live for others and God and don't live for yourself. Well, does that mean I'm to lay down and do nothing? No, whatever you put, find your hand to do, do it with all your might. Do it all to the glory of God. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you learn to do that? Do everything in his name. Everything. You mean when I go out on the job? Yes. If they got certain rules, don't break the rules. 
Now, I would have a hard time working a job and they'd say, you can't talk about religion. Well, are you going to talk about Christmas? Well, yeah, Christmas comes. Well, isn't that religion to you? It's paganism to me. (laughs) Isn't that funny? They'll let you talk about Christmas, but they won't let you talk about religion. I thought, well, Christmas is your Jesus. My Jesus is he don't do that. Now, let's keep reading. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as is life in you, live peaceably with all men. If it's possible, leave them alone in their anger and their rage and their revenge. If they belong to him, God's going to work with them for another 40 years, 25 or 30 years, and cause them to learn these things. Dearly beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Remember the word avenge? Does anybody remember it? Ek dike. Ek d-i-k-e. That's the Greek word. If you hadn't been here, I'm using the original words from the original text. Ek dike. Dike means right. E-K. We get our word exit from ek. It means out. Don't you try to write things out. God will do that in his time. That's not our business. Making things right is God's business, not yours. If somebody cheats you on the job, have you ever had somebody cheat you and not give you the money, Ben, (laughs) that they owed you? Have you ever had that happen? Well, let me ask you. Do you think suing them, taking them to court is going to help you? Do you think you can make them pay you? If they get a judgment, do you think that means you're going to get the money? Don't mean a thing. Don't mean nothing if you get a judgment. That means you've got to go back to court and you've got to put in for to dock their pay and do all this and keep going into court, and it'll cost you more by the time you get through with it. If you get cheated out of $1,500, you know about the minimum that an attorney will charge you to do a small lawsuit? About $1,500 to $2,000. You're going to have to pay an attorney 1500 to $2,000 to collect a $1,500 debt. You want to do that? Or you want to forget it? That's the best thing to do. Just say, well, I learned not to deal with him. I won't deal with him anymore. That's what we're supposed to do. They stole Jesus' life from him, but they didn't because he said, I'll lay it down. Now, let's continue reading. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place to... Give place. Topos. Give a spot Give place to orge. Somebody's got an orge and they want revenge and they are covetousness and they want to get you. Let them. That's what this says. You think God is not going to avenge you of your problems? Has anybody had any problem with being Christ-like? 
Stop and think about Jesus. He was only angry for his father when he turned over the tables of the money changers. And the only reason he turned them over because those Pharisees were cheating people with their money exchange. They insisted that any lambs that were bought, nothing wrong with buying a lamb. Everybody needed one. But they had a money exchange. You had to buy all the lambs with Hebrew money and the standard of money was Greek. So you had to turn in so much Greek money to buy a lamb and they may give you 60 cents on the dollar. And Jesus said, you made my father's house a den of thieves. That's what he was. He was angry at what they were doing in the temple of God. But you're not supposed to be angry at each other. At all. Then he says, Therefore, we've read this over there in Proverbs. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. What in the world does that mean? Has anybody ever questioned that in your life? Let me read to you a couple of responses. I've read out of one some years ago what one man said he said one writer said Israel was very poor in the first century they were poverty stricken these charismatics say well they were rich and you can be rich and the only people that were rich by their standards were the Pharisees who cheated everybody and this man said everybody if you had a donkey and a fig tree and a little one-room hut, you were considered rich. They were very poor. And they cooked everything outside. They used the house to sleep in. But everything, their, their cooking was outside. Any time, and notice the context, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. One of them said they carried, if they needed to carry coals to a place where they're going to cook, they put them in a certain kind of metal uh, pan and put it in a in a little basket and put it on their head and carry it somewhere to cook the meat. So what he's saying here, by that standard, if that's true, help him fix his food if necessary. Let me read what one of these writers said. This is out of... The pulpit commentary, I like the pulpit commentary. It's 24 volumes. Chrysostom said that divine vengeance is implied in Psalms 11 and 6. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone. Burning wind shall be his portion. In Psalms 140 and 10... Let burning coals fall upon them. Of course, in one view, kindness to an evil man only gives him occasion for fresh ingratitude and hatred. If you're kind to a man that has no repentance and has, does not have any compassion in his heart, all that does is make him mad. I've actually done that. I was in gospel music for years, and I got to hating a lot of the gospel singers. The big guys who kept me out of the big concerts, and we were had a real good group, and the word was passed back to me by my younger brother, get your things and get out. We're not letting you in the big concerts. And there was a 
there are concerts all over the country that were the big concerts controlled by certain promoters. And I went down to the National Quartet Convention one year, walked up to all these different guys, said, I want you to forgive me because I've hated you for so many years. Some of them just stared at me because they knew. I didn't even stop and think. When I said that, they knew why I hated them. And all I was doing is bring it fresh in their mind. So he says, all it will do is bring some ingratitude and hatred, therefore increases God's wrath against that man. But it would be a wicked motive to act this beneficent part only to have satisfaction of seeing your injury humbled or punished. If the only reason you apologize to somebody, the only reason you're going to be good to them, the only reason you can be sweet to them is you want to see the wrath of God come upon them, then you've turned God's wrath on you. Your motive has to be right. That's what he's saying here. You have to really care enough to realize if God made them that way, they're supposed to be that way, even when it comes to hurting you. Has anybody been hurt here? I know you have. Coals of fire are a metaphor for the penetrating pain of remorse and repentance. The consciousness of his ill-doing, which is accompanied by the sharp pain of regret, Francis de Sales said, "You are obliged to seek reconciliation with one who has offended. You are not obliged to seek reconciliation for one who has offended you. Well, you're not obliged to, but you are told to love your enemy. Feed them if they're hungry, but don't hang around them after you feed them. Nevertheless, go and follow the Savior's counsel. Prevent him with good. Render him good for evil." Heap coals of fire on his head and on his heart, which may burn up all ill will and constrain him to love you. That goes against our nature, doesn't it? Huh? You don't want to do that, do you? <laughs> well, that's because we have the nature of orge. The Bible says in Ephesians uh, two and two that orge, two and three that orge is our nature. We want to get people back, don't we? Now, let me read you something else here. Here's another Here's another one of my commentaries. This is killing deletes. They were, they were Bible teachers back in the 1800s. Thou shalt heap coals of fire. How burning coals heap on the head can denote burning shame. Not to be perceived, for the latter is burning in the cheeks. I've had people say, yeah, but, but, but if you do that, people will run over you. Let me tell you something. You can't know this till you experience it. When you change and you start becoming like Christ, you frighten people. Because people don't know people like that. There's not many people like that in the world. When you become real honest, real straight, you care about people, you show that you'll care about your enemies, you'll pick them up. Help them, but by the same token, you will not compromise. You'll be point blank with them, and they'll get to knowing that you're that way, and they'll say, don't ask him. He'll be honest with us all. He'll treat his friends and his enemies the same way. You don't get partial to your friends when you're partial. The Bible says in James, the second chapter, Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, 
with respect of persons. And when your faith is in Christ, don't do it respecting persons. People will say, I don't believe in predestination because God don't respect persons. You're ignorant. Here's respect persons. Here's what it means. Prosopoloteo, P-R-O-S-O-P-O-L-O-T-E-O. Prosopoloteo. You got several forms of that. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respecting persons. Pros, apo, L-E-P-T-E-O. And you can have L-E-P-S-I-A, another ending. One is the verb, the other is the noun. Don't have respect of persons. That is not an answer to predestination. Respect of persons comes from pros. And apo and lambano. You say that don't look like it comes from the same word. Well, it does. It does. It is a construction of three, three, three. These three words. Okay. Now, pros means it's our word pro. It means for. Or toward. Lambano means to take hold of. But a lot of times Lambano is translated differently in different verses. Lambano and ops comes from ops. Not oppo, ops. Ops is our word op. Go means to see. So respect of persons of persons means to move towards, take hold of what you see or the surface. You don't look at a woman and say, Well, she's awful pretty and I might get a date with her, so I don't want to tell her about Jesus right now. An offender. Now, Eric, when he first dated Karen, uh, he told her outright, he'll tell you this. Now, I believe in predestination. She said, okay. And he said, I believe Christmas is pagan. Just boom, didn't you? He shook his head. Yes. <laughs> uh, He just said, this is what I believe. And she said, okay, I can handle that. And she has. So the best, don't look at somebody and say, well, I got, I hope I, I'm going to hold hands with them. Maybe I can get a piece of their action. I used to do that in music business. Everybody does it in the music business. I've stood right next to Dolly Parton on stage doing backup for singers. And she was right here, and I was about a foot and a half away. You know how far I was from her? About 500 million miles. I could never stand where she stands. I couldn't do what she does. You're not meant to be a part of those people just because you can stand with them. Just because you know them. I know him. He's my neighbor. Well, what does that mean? Nothing. Or for whatever reason, and Paul goes on to say, or James goes on to say, 
Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Respect of persons means to look at the face and accept the face, the surface of what you see. You can't accept the surface. People are not what they look like. Haven't you learned that? You don't look at the exterior. You do what God told Samuel. And he told told Samuel and Jesse. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God is not interested in the outward appearance of a person. Don't matter who's the prettiest, who's the handsomest, who's got the most money, who's got the most connections. God is on our side. And he's going to do what he wants to do with us. Let me read the rest of this. Well, let me finish this. Don't have respect of persons. If a man comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring and goodly apparel, and you say to him, I told this to a Baptist preacher one time, and you say to him, sit here in the good seat. We want you on the deacon's bench. We want you on the finance committee because you got lots of money. Don't do that because you're partial in your evil thoughts and tell the poor man, sit here under my footstool. You can't even have my footstool. You're not important. The Bible says we're to give more more heed to the uncomely parts of the body of Christ, the part that don't fit. There's some people in here that don't fit as well as others fit. Don't just rush back and stop and talk to the popular person. Stop and talk to the people that are downtrodden that don't seem to have a chance in life because they don't have the get up and go that you have. If they don't have it, it's because God made them that way. And if you have it, God made you the way you are. I've got a lot of self-start in me. But God has taught me over the years to stop and take time for those people that don't have. And if I have a lot of self-start, I'm supposed to use my ability to go help those people that can't help themselves. And so are you. That's what we should be doing, but that's not what we normally do. And then he goes on down in that same chapter, and he equates, James equates partiality with adultery and murder. That's a guilty thing to be involved in. Then he goes on to say, this writer Thou will bring him, heaping coals of fire on his head, will bring him the greatest pain, appease thy vengeance, while at the same time Jehovah will reward your generosity. See, we want to get people back so we can get the generosity of God. You can't get people back and get the generosity of God. Now we say, indeed, that he who rewards evil with good, takes the noblest revenge. (laughs) That's the best revenge you can get. But if this doing of good proceed from a revengeful aim, if all you're wanting to do is get revenge by being good to people and is intended sensibly to humble an adversary, then he loses all its moral worth and is changed into selfish, malicious wickedness if you only do good to somebody to get attention or to get them to feeling guilty then you're doing it for the wrong reason i got more on this i need to how much time do i have mike
What? 26. Oh, 26. I got to get back. I'm going to come back to this next week. We're not to retaliate. We're to never take revenge because of our or gay. Never. We're never to get angry with people. Boy, this preaches to me. Y'all know that I've only learned this in the last 10 or 15 years that I'm not even supposed to be angry at somebody because I don't like the way they're acting. What is the likeness of Christ? Ask yourself that. If you get old enough, you'll come to the place of realizing all old people know that Milton's old. And Judy's mom is an older woman in her 90s. She's not sitting around trying to get revenge, is she? When you get old, you know better than to do that. You don't know it when you're young because somebody's ruining the beauty of your life. Nobody's ruining anything. God has got you ordained to conform to his likeness. The likeness of Jesus is meek, gentle, kind, mild, and by the same token, being blunt and not compromising the truth. That's a hard, hard thing to straddle and to swallow, isn't it? To be godly in everything you do. Now, I need to get back over to Saul. Saul is, I got so much more on this. I got all kinds of verses. I'll just have to come back next week. Let's get back over to 1 Samuel. This is what Saul was doing, trying to kill David. I don't want to go through the whole thing, but back to 1 Samuel. We're talking about the Old Testament stories that affect our life and how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be like Saul. David never said one bad thing about Saul who was trying to kill him because he was accusing David of trying to steal his kingdom. And it wasn't David's idea. It was God's idea to tell Samuel, tell David he's going to be the king. This is the sovereign will of God of everything that happens. And too many of us react like Saul did, don't we? I don't like the will of God in my life. I think the will of God is what I want it to be. No, it's not. God's will is for every one of us to lose until we learn that we're winning. We're winning with God, but not with the world. Now look over here in 1 Samuel. We're talking about Saul chasing David all over the countryside Starts in that 19th chapter because of Saul's rebellion against God in the 13th, 14th, 15th chapter. And then David is crowned, he's made king by, by Samuel in the 16th chapter. And then David comes into town after he kills Goliath in the 17th chapter of First Samuel. And he comes into town in the 18th chapter and all the women are saying, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands and boy, Saul is just livid. I'll kill him. And he grabs a spear and throws it at David and he misses. wonder why he missed. Saul was supposed to be an expert with the spear. But he missed him. David starts running for his life in that 19th chapter. Saul is out to get him. And we know the story. I've been on it for a month or two. 
Saul keeps trying to kill David. But whenever Saul would be, when Saul would get caught, like he did in the 26th chapter, here's what's amazing. When your enemy gets caught, and after David says, David goes and gathers around King Saul with his men, his nephew Abishai doesn't know any doesn't know anything about the likeness of Christ. I guess Abishai was a believer. I don't know. Maybe I'll find out in heaven. Abishai was his uncle's his uncle David's constant companion. And Abishai was always wanting to get even for Uncle David. We'll kill this man. David said, Saul is God's anointed. David to say one bad thing about Saul. In fact, David got over across a large expanse of valley and began to yell back at Saul's men. And the guy that he jumped on at a distance wasn't Saul. The guy that he reprimanded at a distance was Abner, his chief big general, the guy in charge, the captain of the host. He said, Abner, don't you know that you're supposed to be taking care of Saul? I had you at my hand. I could have killed him. I guess Abner was ashamed. David didn't even jump on. He simply jumped on the man that was supposed to be protecting Saul when he had advantage of Saul. Do you feel that way about your enemy? Is you going to protect him if they are a believer? Boy, am I learning this. You know what I'm preaching to this morning? I'm preaching to me. Have I learned this? I'm beginning to learn it. I'm not to be angry at the people that come up against me and try to destroy this ministry. I've had a lot of people try to destroy this ministry. I'm just trying to do the will of God. I, this ministry has done more than I ever, ever thought could. Preaching predestination. God doesn't love everybody. Christmas is pagan. Easter is pagan. And baptism is blood. It's not water. And that's figurative. And they weren't eating crackers and drinking grape juice. They were eating the last Passover. And we're in a spiritual Passover. I've never heard anybody preach all. Nobody. But I know it's true. Sometimes I get so depressed when I'm preaching these things. I'll sit down and start explaining some details to people. They're just looking at me like, with our eyes crossed. And I get very depressed. I really get down about it. But watch out when you corner your enemy like David cornered Saul in this 26th chapter. Saul gets cornered. And watch what he does. He uses flattering words to David. When your enemy gets caught, don't give them a hard time and don't avenge you, your life upon them. Just look at them. But be careful when somebody starts smooth-talking you. Look what Saul says to David. Saul is caught in his lies. David has him at hand, at an advantage. Verse 21 of chapter 26. Then said Saul, I have, sinned, I have sinned 
Return my son David. Is that my son David? He never called him that before. He called him that son of Jesse. He's talking smooth to him. Is that you my son David? Don't believe him. You can't believe nothing Saul is saying. For I will no more do thee harm. He says, I'm not going to do you harm, but look what David says in chapter 27, verse 1, the next chapter. David said in his heart, I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. He said, I can't believe Saul is talking too smooth. He's been trying to kill me every day, and now he's saying, is that my son David? What you do is you run away from smooth talk, flattering words, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. David doesn't believe a word he's saying. What is the final end of a man who doesn't believe that he's supposed to change and become humble? Saul shows us that. Saul finally says, I got to go to this witch of Endor. I got to go out and fight the Philistines tomorrow at Gilboa. Mount Gilboa was a mountain chain that was on the, it's believed, nobody knows exactly where it is, but it's a mountain chain on the south end of Israel. That's the same place where Gideon fought the Midianites at Mount Gilboa. Saul's coming down here, and he ends up telling this witch of Endor, I want you to conjure up Samuel for me. Now remember, Samuel's been dead for two years. And the witch sees this spirit come up, and she goes, Ah! I can't do that. See, witchcraft is nothing but phony. There's no such thing as witches. That's just man's imagination like demons. Which is the word kasaf. K-A-S-A-P-H. Kasaf is the word which, when the Bible says thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, that means a smooth talker. That means Billy Graham. That means Charles Stanley. That means Kenneth Copeland. These people who talk smooth trying to sell you a bill of goods with false doctrine. What's wrong with Billy Graham? He taught sinner's prayer for salvation. It wasn't true. He taught accept Christ and it wasn't true. Belief is the method of salvation. Believe. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Belief and faith are the same word. One is the verb, the other is the noun. Pistis. That's the word believe, P-I-S-T-I-S. So whatever pistis is, pistuo, that's the verb form of the noun. The noun is the thing, that's faith, and this is the verb believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Those people that smooth talked you into an easy walk down the aisle and an easy sinner's prayer, they're witches. In the Old Testament, they would have had to die. They're false teachers. Now, so David goes and joins the Philistines 
And King Achish becomes a contemporary of David. King Achish is a Philistine king. When David goes to Achish, verse 5, chapter 27, David said to Achish, If I have found grace in thine eyes, let, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? He wanted to be separate from Achish because he didn't want to, him to know his secret comings and goings because David go, would go out during the day. He's pretending to be a friend of the Philistines because they know that Saul, the king of the Israelites, is chasing him. So they accept him. So David says, give me a city of my own. And David would go out during the day, take his arm and go attack a Philistine village and come back. And Achish would say, what have you been doing today? He said, oh, I've been over here attacking the Israelites. They, they would lie to Achish. He used his position to his own advantage. You can use what position anybody puts you into, just like Saul put him into it, to an advantage. And Achish gave David Ziklag. That's David's town. Now Ziklag gets, a, gets attacked, and we'll talk about that later. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. He was over there with the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, playing them. And David and his men went up and invaded Geshurites and, Ge and Geshurites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive, took away the sheep, the oxen, the asses. These were Philistines' friends and camels and apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said to David, Where have you been? <laughs> What's been your road today? And David said, I've been out attacking southern Judah. No, he hadn't. He's been attacking the friends of the Philistines. And against the south of Jamalites and against the south of the Kenites. The Kenites were David's close allies. He's just lying to King Achish. Then he goes to the he goes to the woman. Saul is going into battle. He's got to go to Gilboa. He's got to fight the Philistines, and they have an overwhelming army. It's too much for even Saul. So Saul says, I've got to go to someone who will tell me What's going to happen to me? I need some good news, so I need to go find me a fortune teller that will give me my good fortune. And he had outlawed witches in the land and soothsayers, and so he disguises himself going to the witch of Endor. And she says, Saul has outlawed witchcraft in the land and outlawed soothsaying. And she looked at Saul closely. She said, you're Saul. You're the one that outlawed this. He said, bring me up Samuel. Now Samuel's been dead. 
Saul showed just how ignorant he was. There's no such thing as soothsayer and witches. He was desperate. He's just like a lot of people that go to these these uh, card readers, tarot card readers. Uh, Mary's been making her a new booklet, and she come up with an article, and this guy said, uh, why don't you see all these faith healers in the hospitals? For the same reason you don't see psychics winning the lottery. <laughs> that just don't happen, does it? So, the woman shouts out, ah, I can't do that. God brought up Samuel too. God is the one that brought Samuel up to Saul. And God talks to Saul through Samuel's voice. He's in, he sees Samuel. That's one of those many exceptions that God makes in the Bible. So Samuel is talking to Samuel dead is talking to Saul. Verse 16, chapter chapter 28. Then said Samuel Wherefore then dost thou ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from thee, and has become thine enemy? Samuel said, God is your enemy, Saul. And Saul had tried to pray, and God would not listen to him. Tried several times. And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, Saul. You're not to be king. I've told you that before. God keeps telling us in our lives, you're not supposed to be king of this situation. You're not supposed to be ruling in your life of what you think you are in this job or these people or in your family. And God will keep punishing us till we learn. He had to finally kill Saul. He's given it to your neighbor, David, who's better than you. This is Samuel talking to Saul. Samuel being dead for two years. You can see Samuel's death in the 25th chapter of this same book, first verse. Because thou obeyedest not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Long stories. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. God's going to do this for your wickedness. You want this to happen to you? God will deliver you over when you crucify the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame because you don't want to go on unto maturity. Maturity puts other people's first, puts the will of God first, and puts self last. I like, there was a famous running back with the uh, Chicago Bears back in the 70s and he wrote a book who was the guy that was the super back played a few games no Deion Sanders didn't run for Chicago Gail Sayers Gail Sayers wrote a book I am third he said God is first my friends are second And I am third. He must have known something about the word of God. 
And tomorrow thou shalt, and thy sons, you'll be with me. And the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway. How's, how's Saul going to be with Samuel? Because Samuel's dead. Saul's going to be dead by his own hand by suicide. And if he doesn't go to be with Samuel, then this is a lie. Suicide don't send you to hell. Suicide is committed by that outer man, not by the inner man. Will God take a man to that place as a believer? He did Saul. Then Saul fell straightway along the earth and was so afraid because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day nor the night. I said I was going to get to killing off Saul this week. Don't look, I'm going to. I'm going to have to come back. How much time do I have, Mike? Five. Let me read a little bit further in here. So David goes to Achish and says in this 29th chapter, I want to go with you to attack Saul. David had no intentions of attacking Saul. None. He wanted to sandwich his army and the armies of Saul, Saul's army, and he wanted the Philistines to be in the middle. And he wanted to bring up the rear so that Saul's army and David's army, Saul wasn't even for Samuel while he was doing that. He's going to fight for Saul all the way to Saul's death. He's going to fight for Saul. Can you fight for your enemies all the way to their death? Well, we don't know what we're doing when we're living for ourselves. We're supposed to live for God and others, even our worst enemies that are believers. We're supposed to live for them, not against them. Boy, I'm, I'm preaching to me this morning. This is bouncing all over the room and coming back and hitting me right between the eyes. I hope it's hitting you. We've got to get over ourselves. Death to self is the only way to live. If we can get rid of self, then nobody can offend us, can they? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Living for others and God and not yourself is the only way to live. And as i gotten old, it makes me know that. Gosh, I look at all the time I've wasted, but it wasn't wasted on God's part. I just wasted my time because I wouldn't bow to him completely. You know how much I've learned in this past year? Unbelievable amount. About living. I really believe for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. I really believe we're elected to obedience and the sprinkling of blood. I really believe that he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame. We should be innocent in the eyes of God and the world. The only way to live for Jesus is to seek his ways and live like he lived and stop anger, stop getting angry, stop your orgay, stop your revenge, stop your avenging. That is not the way of Christ. 
And David asks Achish, can I come in and, and accompany you and your army? And the Philistine princess said, he is our adversary. No, Achish, he's not coming. We're not accepting him. When they said he is our adversary, that's in verse 4 of chapter 29. The Philistine princess said he is our Satan. He is our Satan. Satan means adversary. That's all it means. When Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, it's because Jesus said, I have to go to Jerusalem, be crucified and resurrect again the third day. And Peter said, not so, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. That'll never happen to you. And he said, get thee behind me, adversary. You're trying to go against the plan of my Father in heaven. You can't go against the plan of God. And that's what we do when we argue with the sovereignty of God of things that are happening in our lives. Everything that's going on in our lives is what's supposed to go on. And all he's doing with these difficult problems in our lives is molding us into the likeness of Christ. They ain't nothing like being honest and straight with people. Nothing. I don't have to worry about who I'm making time with, who I can convince to be committed and convinced to tithe and give. I don't have to worry about any of that. I believe that everything's happening the way it's supposed to happen. Everything. And everything gives thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If you belong to God and you're not there yet, stop and thank God in the middle of not being there yet. I keep saying this. Mary comes up to me at home and she'll say, I really, she came upstairs and sit down and said, I, I feel terrible. This high blood pressure is just driving me crazy. But I hope God sent this in my life to cause me to be willing to bow to him. That's saying a lot, especially when you feel as bad as she feels with that high blood pressure. It is a terrible thing. Can you thank God for your enemies? That's what we're supposed to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. Cause us to learn to understand these things. It's been a long time coming in my life. I thank you so much for teaching me by using all these adversaries and all this fire and trial that I didn't think I could live through. Thank you for everything. I pray for the church that you'll strengthen them, cause them to understand these same things. That we have to realize that you've made all things after the counsel of your own will, including every evil thing in our life and every good thing. Fight our battles. We can't fight anymore. We'll praise you for all things in Christ's name. Amen. I didn't get very far in that, but I will next week. What you doing there? You got Papa? Huh? I love you too. What, you want some gum? I love you. You sure are growing up and getting big, you know it.
You want some gum? Yeah. Okay. You sure are getting tall. But Eric's getting up. Chris is getting tall, too. Here you go. Is this the kind you want? Okay. What kind do you want? You want watermelon. Okay. Hold on a minute. What? <laughs> you, you want some watermelon? Yes. What's it, what are you laughing at? Watermelon. <laughs> you want some watermelon? <laughs> Come here, you little dude. Here you go. Where's little dad? Is he back there? Here, take him, Beats. What? I need the other piece. Oh, you didn't get one? Oh, okay. I need the other one for John. Okay. I'm the gum man. You've heard of the candy man? The candy man can. The candy man can. Candy man can. That makes the world taste good. I'm the gum man. Hey. That was like a very surgical cutting into me. I hope so. I hope it's that way to everybody. Well, it needs to lay everybody open. It's laid me open. God has taught me. Quick hug. I'm gonna head out and run some errands. Okay. See you back tonight. Okay. I'll see you then. What you been doing? What you been doing? Nothing much. Resting. 